Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. Today on The Breakdown, the election we thought would never come did come. It came. It still isn't over. Yes, it's it's still (laughs) happening. There's more ballots to count and lawsuits to contend with, but we do have a lot of clarity here in California. We do indeed. A historic margin of victory for the Biden-Harris ticket here in the Golden State. Also a big win for Uber and Lyft. A decisive loss for affirmative action and rent control with some congressional races too close to call. And here to help us break it all down, our own Katie Orr up in Sacramento. And from Politico, the indefatigable. Can I say that on the radio? Indefatigable. Carla Marinucci, <laughs> welcome to The Breakdown, everybody. You said it twice. I said it twice. <laughs> there we go. Have, take, take that, FCC. But we should say, we should say, by the way, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a long week. Um, we should say we're taping this uh, at 2 p.m. on Thursday. Uh, just in case any results come in after this, you'll know why. Um, but we got through it. We, we're getting through it. Uh, and, uh, you know, there were some of the worst things we had feared, like, you know, Russian hacking or Chinese or Iranian hacking into the system. That didn't happen. There's been no social unrest. The windows are still boarded up downtown in San Francisco yeah. and Oakland. But what stood out to you, Marisa? Um, I think that I, I think that um, Democrat, I think the disappointment among Democrats is what's really hit me and, and just the difference between the parties. I mean, it does appear like, let's say again, it's two o'clock on Thursday, things could change. But Joe Biden has the clearest path at this point to the White House. It seems like it would be pretty extraordinary if Trump was able to pull it out. And yet, most of the Democrats I'm talking to are acting like they lost. And I know that the Senate's up in the air, and I know that there is a sense among the left that, you know, they really wanted this to be a rebuke of not just the president, but his message on race and, and, and a lot of other things, immigration. Um, but, you know, we have been saying for weeks, this could take days to count. It's taken days to count. We have said for weeks, you know, we hope that we in the media are doing a responsible job. And I got to say, I, I think that we have. I mean, you know, look the way even Fox News has handled this presidential race, it is definitely um, there's a sense I think that you know we had a role to play and that we've done it. And I and I and I I just I, I do applaud America. You know whatever you think of these outcomes, like we've been doing this for a couple hundred years, and it seems like <laughs> this isn't the week that it's going to die. You know. <laughs> Katie, you've been covering the affirmative action uh, race, among other things. Um, That was a disappointment for backers of that, but not really a surprise. 
Well, I think they were hopeful that this would be their time. Um, As we know, Prop 16 would have overturned Prop 209 that voters passed back in uh, 1996 that banned the use of affirmative action by the state for public hiring, public university admissions, and awarding public contracts. And I think supporters were really thinking that because of the national conversation on social justice and race, that it would get momentum. But in the end, um, it just didn't didn't have an effective message. It didn't hit home with voters. Um, they raised a lot of money, $30 million, but that's a relative amount because, in, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Uber and Lyft land, that's peanuts. Yeah, $200 million. So oh they couldn't really get any traction. And someone else pointed out to me, um, they started relatively late. They got put on the ballot by the legislature in June. And in election world time, it's just not enough to get the coalition out and the and the message you need out to get the voters. Yeah. Carla, I mean, we had a bunch of ballot measures. And I, I think, as usual, we saw money talk here. Anything yes. that you were <laughs> surprised by, not surprised by, struck by coming out of Tuesday? Well, I think, you know, what we saw is that maybe California is not as progressive a state a totally blue state, as everybody thinks. I mean, as Katie just mentioned, Prop 16 was kind of an example there. We are still a progressive state, but we're maybe we're more purple. I mean, look at uh, Prop 15, which was you know every demo, every major Democrat, every uh, every big educational group, uh, every lab- a lot of big labor unions were behind this. Uh, that looks like it's going down. Uh, I, I think uh, you know on on criminal justice issues. Um, yes, uh, George Gascon was elected down in L.A. Uh, yes, Angelinos uh, uh, funded uh, all kinds of social services and, and jail diversion programs. But when it came to Prop 25 uh, to end cash bail, California said, uh-uh, no way, that's not going to happen. I think, uh, you know, we saw this a couple of times in unions, um, which have been just the the bastion for the democrats you know the the boots on the ground um they kind of took a beating on some of these issues prop 23 that was a dialysis measure back by seiu that looks like it went down and um of course prop 22 is another example uh with the uber lyft and uh and the gig company so uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, Californians, uh, yes, they elect Democrats and Democrats uh, own the field up there in Sacramento. But the ballot box, maybe not so much, uh, looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a few things to unpack there, too. I, I agree with you that I think we think of you know, state politics as like in the same kind of realm as the partisanship nationally. And the truth is, there's always going to be a lot of differences among a coalition like the Democratic one in California. We've seen this in Sacramento with the real rise of these business friendly moderates kind of taking the place of Republicans. And I think that that is certainly the case. I mean, I don't think it's fair to say, look, look, these are all or a lot of them are really close, right? Prop 15. We're talking 5248 at this point. The votes aren't counted. I mean, that could be a one or two point race at the end. Um, And so I do think that it's not as if this was a complete rebuke of labor in that case. I think, and I don't know, Scott, if you want to wait a little bit on on the criminal justice stuff, but I do think that Prop 25 is a little more complicated than just saying, oh, voters, because if you look at, I mean, half a dozen police accountability measures in the Bay Area passing, Prop 25 just going, or 20, I'm sorry, going down by a 25-point margin so far. You know, so Mm -hmm. there's definitely some, I think think voters here really look at the issues and... They do. They pick and choose. They They really, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think you saw that with Prop 25 because there was also that left-right split. You know, there were some folks who were concerned that, you know, getting rid of cash bail would give more uh, power to the judges and maybe you'd end up, you know, with more people in, in jail. Right. Away, you know, so they, and that message, I think, you know, confused voters maybe and pulled, they pulled just enough voters to the no side. Katie, what, you want to jump in? Well, I just say, you know, in terms of um, looking at the issues and, and making a real study decision, I do think that that is the case. I know, like, on Prop 15, um, yes, it had a lot of backing. All the Democrats and everyone said this will be good. But there are a lot of homeowners in California, even though this does not apply to homes. It was uh, for, you know, commercial right. businesses. There is still a fear that this is a step towards revising it for Prop 13. And that is a big deal for homeowners because houses here are very expensive. And if you're- I have to to say when it came to some other uh, like local and school taxes on at the local level, people check the yes box on a lot Mm -hmm. of those. I think uh, particularly in San Francisco, there were a number of those. So that, that, you know, all politics is local goes right to that issue, Katie. I think you're you're exactly right. I think people thought that in some ways it it would open the door to change their property tax on their houses. That was the argument that business made effectively, it appears. But also, I think the pandemic in, in many mm-hmm. cases may have affected the votes on, on some of these propositions where people were like, you know what, let's not mess with what we've got right now. I'm too worried about everything else that's going on. I'm just going to say no. I think that that may that psychology may have affected on some of these prop- propositions. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I mean, there were 12 ballot propositions. You're dealing with a pandemic. You're dealing with a highly contentious um, presidential election. A lot of these, that's what uh, one of the criticisms of Prop 16 was, was that it was a little bit confusing for people. You know, vote yes on this proposition to overturn that proposition. Uh, Both sides using the word discrimination uh, in their favor. So it it was a lot. It was a big year. Um, there were a lot of big ballot measures on there. And I think people, like, as you mentioned, Carla, were just tired. <laughs> I was a yeah. little surprised, you know, to, that given, you know, that people were a little tight-fisted on some of the money things, that uh, the bond to continue stem cell research yeah. passed kind of narrowly. Uh, but I was, I, I kind of thought people would be ready to let that one go, you know, given that it really was an issue that came about at a time when stem cell research with fetal tissue was really, you know, in the news nationally. Maybe they felt it wasn't that much money. Money, or maybe they were holding out hope for some kind of miracle cures, which have not happened uh, since that was uh, since that agency was uh, was implemented. Uh, but uh, you know that was that was a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, and then I think also just you know the the idea that. Um, having allowing younger people to vote that seemed to not be a very popular one you know either whether they're 17 year olds or in in san francisco i'm not sure how it worked out but i think the 16 year olds allowing them to vote in some of the municipal election the school board elections i think that was losing i don't know if it ultimately how that worked out actually but you know what do you make of that carla yeah, I, well, yeah. On, the, on the stem cell, I got to say, um, I, I think that one is pandemic related. I think people are thinking, you know what, if, if stem cell research can produce a vaccine, um, maybe maybe mm. that we should anything science related. Let's let's let it go. Let's let's go for it on the 17 year olds. I was a little bit surprised on that one. It uh, You know, it seemed like uh, maybe that's a bridge too far for people. <laughs> uh, the parents voted no on that one. Interestingly. <laughs> 
Californians voted, look, parolees vote for 17 year olds. Doesn't that tell you something? <laughs> no, you can't have the a car lot keys. A parents out there. <laughs> a lot of parents and teenagers I mean, out there making that decision. <laughs> Yeah, I think that is a really good example, actually, the the you know, 17 year olds voting of just how like, there is this almost not conservative is the wrong word, because it makes you think of like Republican, but streak among the electorate when it comes to some of these questions. And I think Katie's right, like, I'm on the Prop 13 change. I mean, if you looked at polling, younger people, renters um, are all way more in favor, uh, we're, we're way more in favor of that, right? It, that was not necessarily a partisan divide in a lot of the good, the accurate public polling we saw. Um, and I think, you know, that may change as as those folks become a bigger share of the electorate, um, that you might see some of these issues that have been so challenging for labor to pull off, it, it might trend in a different direction in another two, four, six years, because, you know, we just, the older people get, the more they're likely are, the more likely they are to vote. And in the case of that, the less likely they are to remember Prop 13, because they weren't around to vote on it. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a short break. Hold that thought. We're gonna take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about this week's election, this month's election, really. It ain't over yet, folks. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Randal Dirfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos. And today on The Breakdown, we're all about the election. With us, KQED's own politics reporter, Katie Orr, up in Sacramento. And from Politico's California playbook, Carla Marinucci. Carla, I think I interrupted you uh, when we went into the break. What were you going to say? <laughs> I was just going to say... Interesting one to me when you talked about, you know, where voters are. It was Prop 19. Uh, in my own household, uh, I had an issue with my two millennial kids who were saying, "Why?" This is one, by the way. The real estate interests have tried to push a couple of times. This is this another revision got, to Prop 13. We should say a revision, another revision to Prop 13. Uh, uh, my millennial sons were saying, "Why do you boomers get another, uh, you know, benefit, another cut?" It's the reason why all us millennials and Gen Zs can never afford a house in California. But this one seemed to go. They they portrayed it as 
not only ha- uh, allowing boomers to take their low property taxes anywhere in California, but also disabled people, victims of wildfires. They they shaped this one differently this time around, and it looked like that's what helped that one pass. Yeah, they some just- of those commercials, man, it was hard. It would have been hard to vote no. <laughs> I mean, they really- well, <laughs> and don't forget the provision that made it revenue neutral by hiking those t- inheritance taxes. I think that's what really yes. pushed it over, yes. and that's what made. And I think there's a lot of people on the left who might have voted against it the last time when you didn't have that provision, but looked at Howard Jarvis and the Republican Party on the no side and went, we'll support this, we'll hold our nose and support this. But I think that's right, Carla, and I think that's back to my point, that I think that the electorate is going to continue to change, and people of my age group are looking around with our kids in schools that are underfunded and can't even open in a pandemic, and maybe going, okay, well, this isn't working as well. But the truth is, folks over, what, 50 are still the majority of voters. Yeah, and you know, one one other spillover from all that is you've got Californians leaving the state, going to places like Arizona. Arizona, Nevada, Texas, Colorado, and you know we're beginning to see that spillover effect into their politics a little bit as well with mm-hmm. the sort of the purpling of totally, Arizona. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, I, what do you guys think about the congressional races? Because I feel like that is an area where I mean, I, I was just running the numbers, the ones we've been watching down south. Um, you know, it, mostly Orange County, a couple, San, you know, that East County ISA race in San Diego. Um, yes. Which you know, Republicans have a huge advantage there but just like the other races in orange county and northern la county and in the central valley tj cox david valdeo i mean these are all separated by like one or two percentage points it is so close um i don't know uh, carla what do you think about that like Issa shouldn't have had that hard of a job there right absolutely not this is the most one of the most republican reliable republican districts duncan hunter had that seat his father before him uh, I mean, it's incredible that it really got this close again. And Daryl Issa is not really that popular, even amongst, among many Republicans. But the fact is, uh, it looks like he's able to pull this one out. Um, oh, well, so that's uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would think, yes, it's been a long history of a Republican seat, but Daryl Issa has quite a reputation. So maybe he wasn't <laughs> the best, you know, candidate to run. <laughs> that's that. that's I mean, a nice way of saying it, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to... One person who yeah, had a, who had a, apparently had a really good night is Kamala Harris, and we we have to we, we'd be remiss not to talk about her. Uh, looks like looks like she could be the next vice president of the United States, which I think for a lot of us who've covered her forever, yeah, I still yes. can't quite get my head around that. But I wanted to ask you, Carla, we we bumped into each other on election day at Manny's, which is somebody said was the New Hampshire of San Francisco politics. You know, all the Democrats show up there, and the uh, the governor was there, the mayor was there, the mayor of Oakland was there, Barbara Lee was there. Jackie Spear yeah, was there. That's right. uh, it, it was a party. It was yeah. a party, and then and we did afterwards. Newsom took a few questions after he shook hands with babies, <laughs> but um, you and know. you asked him, and you asked him, Scott. I think the best question of the day, which is, how much pressure are you getting? And he just went on. He went for some on. Time. Yeah. I know. He I thought he would say, "I'm not thinking about that." Yeah. This no, is he, about the appointment. If he gets the appointment, the appointment yeah, right? he gets a big decision, and he made it sound like it was the biggest burden in the world. You know, this is something I wouldn't wish on my worst enemies. <laughs> you know? well, I, wonder, I, I wonder if he gave a little hint on how it's going to go when he answered you, Scott, because he said, I may not make it. You create enemies in the process. You don't make great friends. Yes. Uh, now, a lot of people are suggesting, well, his longtime friend, Alex Padilla, that that's, you know, that would be a historic move. A first Latino in 150 years. 
maybe it was hinting I may have to go to another, you know, so another place. And of course, the names on the list, um, we did a story which he said he liked the story. That was a pretty good should, list, he said. <laughs> we should have added 40 or 50 names, I think what, he said. Was his name um, on the list, Carla? <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah. But uh, among the, I, we should have, among the people who have come up or catapulted up to the, to the top of that list is Robert Garcia, the, the mayor of Long Beach, because he's Latino and LGBTQ, and that's double historic. Both of his parents uh, died of COVID, I think, too. Yeah. Yes, but don't I you mean, think, he's well-liked. Yeah. Don't you think there's pressure to pick a woman? I mean, there's so yeah. few women in the Senate. I just have a hard time believing in that right. seat he could replace a black woman with anybody other than a woman of color. Katie? Well, and... I, I agree with that. And I think that gets to another point that someone pointed out to me the other day that in the midst of, yes, we're all very focused on Trump versus Biden and all of this, that it gets lost a little bit exactly how historic Kamala Harris becoming VP would be. I mean, the first woman, the first African-American, the first you know Asian woman, all of these things. I mean, and it really is sort of like the side story to all of this, you know, assuming that it works out and she does take the office. So well, I, I know I, to like, yeah. yeah. Can I be a Debbie Downer over here though? Because, <laughs> no. you know, this was assuming that Dems pull it out. However, this was still closer than a lot of polls thought and they underperformed with men of color, Latinos and black men in particular. And I think that despite all the kudos Kamala is getting from, you know, the fundraising jump and, and the black women, just the strong, you know, black women support. Carla, I mean, I think my sense from talking to party insiders is that they feel like not just the party, but Kamala herself is going to have some work to do with those constituencies. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, uh, look, uh, Kamala Harris's effect, she did pump up uh, the younger voters. She did bring in money to the party. Uh, but now what, what is her job going to be? Trump won more of those black male voters, particularly, and Latino men than Democrats ever dreamed possible. And how did that happen? What, what, how did he connect with them? I think Kamala is going to have to address that. She's going to be asked to address that. And that goes to, you know, also, who may, who may replace her? You mentioned why should it be a woman? Uh, boy, uh, there are a lot of women's groups out there, like She the People, Amy Allison, really pushing for a woman of color. The question is who? I mean, Karen Bass or um, Barbara Lee? Uh, Barbara Lee. And, and number, a poll that we ran today in Politico's playbook was Barbara Lee is named as one of the uh, top people. Mm -hmm. I think, I think. In a lot of ways, this is a, a three-dimensional game of chess because if Gavin does appoint uh, a statewide officer, say a Fiona Ma or a uh, Betty Yee, then he gets to appoint that seat as well, and maybe he could uh, name, you know, I, he could name two people and make two constituencies or three happy. Um, I, he that's where that's all going, I think. Well, and I feel also just want to throw it out there that, yes, she might not, Kamala might not have won the support of those groups, but do we think her being a woman had anything to do with her getting less support from those groups? You can't, you can't discount that, I don't think. So. Yeah. One thing, uh, that Carla, right that uh, the governor, he was, he was kind of like thinking out loud, like, well, should it be a caretaker? Should it be somebody who could win in two <laughs> yes. years on their own? And, uh, and, you know, there is something to be said, especially coming back to his comment about making friends and enemies when you pick somebody is pick somebody who will just be there for a couple of years, maybe won't run on their own. And then you can, you know, you're not going to get the Eric Garcetti's and the Padillas and everybody else mad at you. It, you know, that's possible. But I think I, most people feel 
he will pick somebody that will be able to withstand the challenge and build up seniority in that seat for California. Uh, so, but remember, there's the Diane seat hanging out there. And um, <laughs> what, he, he may be able to say, Alex Padilla, hang on, wait a minute. Uh, you know, we, we may be able to help you out in the future. Or th there may be all kinds of machinations going on behind the scenes. I thought his, his answer to you, Scott, was really interesting in terms of how he's going to have to make enemies on this one. And then a lot of people are suggesting Maybe he would want the Diane yeah, seat. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Get him out of here. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's, he's been dealt a really bad hand as governor, right? Yeah. Jerry Brown's sitting back thinking, man, I had it easy. Right? <laughs> Buy low, sell high. Um, I want to just really quickly mention that a couple of members of the legislature, well, several, but two in particular had good nights. Todd Gloria getting elected apparently mayor in San Diego, be the first uh, openly gay mayor, uh, beating another Democrat, Barbara Free, who was more, the more conservative of the two. And then Holly Mitchell getting elected mm. to the L.A. County Board of Soups, giving them for the first time ever all women, five women. Which is crazy. I mean, Huge. that yeah. is Huge. a remarkable accomplishment. I just feel like no matter what the like partisan or, you know, sort of leanings of that board is, it's going to be really fascinating to see for the first time in what their 150 year history. Just like, what does it look like to have an all female totally. legislative body? We don't even know. I feel like mm -hmm. um, the yeah. other one I'm interested to get y'all to weigh in on is this Scott Wiener, Jackie Fielder race. Uh, she ran from Scott Wiener's left in San Francisco, really tried to tie him to the real estate, you know, sort of developers. And and I, I don't know, like, Carla, do you think, does this tell us anything? Because she was a strong candidate. I think she did better than f some folks on Scott Wiener's side thought, but she still couldn't pull it out, even in San Francisco. Yeah, but I think that was a, it was a heavy lift for a first-time candidate um, and, and one who was so young. But I have to say, I do think she was a good candidate. I think we'll see her again in San Francisco yeah. politics. You know, only in San Francisco could you have uh, the, the suggestion that Scott Wiener is not liberal enough. Uh, but but she made the case. And I think he they got a little worried there. Uh, she was able to raise a lot of money. Uh, she was able to get a much higher profile than many would have gotten in that. I think for sure we're going to see her again. Yeah. And that's the kind of young generational candidate, I think, um, that can make a play. I think for the first for a first time candidate, she was way stronger than many people you know ever dreamed. And um, you know that, that's just an example of a, a new group of Democrats coming up and and just waiting for those seats including Nancy Pelosi, who may add. Well, and speaking of young up-and-coming politicians, like we've got to ask about, I've got to ask about Michael Tubbs, the mayor of Stockton, who was seen by, you know, many as a rising star in the party. There was an HBO documentary about him. Uh, he was even, I think, on some people's list for Senate to replace Kamala Harris. And he is losing to somebody who's never won before, never gotten elected, Kevin Lincoln, an African-American pastor, a businessman. Uh, what do you make of that one? I know that I know, Katie, you were you were in Stockton and have done some reporting there. You did spend a little time with Tubbs. What do you what do you make of that? I mean, I think it's shocking. I think it's shocking to perhaps everyone who's not in, you know, from Stockton, like you said, he's a rising star, very personable guy. I mean, yeah. I spoke with him for like 10 minutes about we both have like babies the same age, you know, and mm -hmm. he was just like, oh, my baby does this and that, you know, so like <laughs> just like a really nice guy. But I, you know, it seems to be that the argument his opponent is making is that he's too focused outward and not focused 
inward enough on the specifics of the city. I'm sure there are people who will argue, like, are you kidding? He's brought all this, like, attention to Stockton. He's started all of these projects here to help us. Um, But I was telling you guys earlier, I heard him on another podcast talking about how one of the biggest disputes he had with people and when they got so mad at him was about uh, the contract the city had with a golf course. So, you know, I mean, when it like, you know, it comes to the nuts and bolts of running a city, maybe people thought he wasn't focused enough on them. Well, he did did the universal basic income, all that. But I think, too, I mean, it's also that race is still pretty close from my understanding. And we do know that a lot of sort of more left-leaning voters did vote by mail and may not have turned them in. So that could flip. I mean, I do think the fact that it's this close is interesting, but I think we have to like, I just want to, we started with the asterisk. Let's, let's, let's get towards the end of this with it, which is that this election is not over. Like there are still votes Mm -hmm. being counted and there are still areas because of how kind of weird, I guess you could say the vote was this year in terms of everyone getting a mail ballot, people turning them in early, but some people not. And, you know, more conservative voters going to the polls in person that like I just feel like there's some of these races that we need to be really cautious about because it could still flip the other way all right that does it for us Carla Marinucci from Politico Katie Orr up in Sacramento for us thank you both very much we'll continue to watch the counting (laughs) sounds good all right that does it for this edition that does it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Don't forget, you can still get the latest election results at kqed.org slash elections. That's right. We'll be updating those there. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tobin Lindsay, Vinny Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at mlagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.